Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Good day, everyone. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. This is your co-host, Eric Trexler. I have a special guest today, Petko Stoyanov, uh, CTO of Forcepoint. Rachel is on a well, well-deserved vacation. She will not be joining us. So what you will hear today is a conversation between Petco and myself. It is being recorded on February 24th in the uh, early lunch hour, if, if I should say that. We will be releasing the following Tuesday. I don't even have the date. So this will be dated before we even record it, and we know that, but we wanted to have a conversation with Petco, get some information out to people, and we'll try to get it out as quickly as possible. But with that, Petco, welcome to the podcast. I know you've been on before. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. You know, I think last time we talked, we talked about resiliency, cyber resiliency, and uh this week, you know, one thing that's made everyone realize, I mean, COVID made us think about resiliency, but now we have to think about it a little bit differently. And what does this, what are the actions in Ukraine impact other parts of the world? What does it impact your organization just around resiliency, around tactics? How would you be prepared? And there's tons of things we could do. There's tons of things we should have done before, but I, I'd, I'd love to talk about, you know, do we see anything new? You know, I mean, Eric, you've got some interesting perspective on this. You used to be in the military. How do you want to start? Well, I was an infantryman and I was the only guy in my uh, unit to know how to work with a laptop. We had one. So really that- You had laptops back then? (laughs) We had an old 386 that ran WordPerfect, I think 5.0. Was that DX Uh, or SX? It was an SX, by the way, but nobody could use it other than me. So I, I, in my last year, I became one of the ops personnel of three of us because I knew how to type. Wait, I'm a little, and I I'm, I'm a little interested in this laptop thing. Was that a policy they implemented because you were special? Or was this just the training thing that they decided to give you special training? No, we got a laptop to do operational work, scheduled jumps, scheduled missions, deployments, yeah. you name it, um, in lieu of typewriters, which is what we had used prior to probably 90, I want to say 94 was the first time my unit got a laptop. Um and, and nobody, nobody knew how to type and nobody knew computers. I had about a year left on my, on my enlistment and I saw it as a great way to deploy less, get more time for college and help out. So I stepped up and said, I can use that thing because I had been building computers for a couple of years at that point myself, uh, but just very different times. But, but I do want to correct you. The last time we spoke, not on the air, was last night. And we put a couple questions together in preparation for today. And I would say three of the four questions are outdated as of two hours after we spoke, but clearly today, 12 hours after, 12 hours after, well, probably 15 hours after we spoke yesterday, um, because things are moving very quickly in the, in the Ukraine situation. Um, so, so let's, let's talk about that, right? I mean, number one question we had was, what types of cyber warfare tactics could we see Russia deploying? And we know that they had already deployed some in prior prior weeks, prior campaigns, going back to 15, 16, 17. Um, but, but let's talk about that, recognizing at this point in the day today on the 24th of February, Russia has 
run overrun a good bit of the Ukraine and cyber is almost an afterthought due to kinetic weapons that have they, they've taken airfields. We believe from the free press that we see they have air superiority. We have imagery showing that they've knocked out a lot of command and control and and physical uh, radar systems and, and, and systems to detect physical traffic. It almost seems like cyber was was overrun before it even got started. But let's talk. So what types of cyber warfare tactics did we see leading up to the invasion of Ukraine, but also post-invasion? Yeah, you know, we definitely saw lots of activity around denial of service. Um, there are certain things that were, you know, the, Rus- the Russians are very good at creating noise. And sometimes when you're being disrupted to just check your bank account and other things, they're also doing other things in the background. And w- what's really interesting is when you start thinking about if you're going to attack a country, what, you know, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to put my troops there and I'm going to make this happen. You don't, you don't one day say I'm going to deploy 70% of my fleet, 150,000 troops and just make it happen. Before right. all that We've happens. Months of lead up to this. It's months just for the people. But on the physical the side, exactly. Know, yeah. And now the non-physical, you, you know, we're, we didn't see this today or yesterday. What, what's really happening is they're preparing the battlefield. They started putting things in place. We don't know. It could have been back to the previous time we did this in 2015. They could have just waited, collect the data. So when they had to come in, that preparation of the battlefield is understanding your visibility and having the ability to control things when you need them to happen. That could have been the denial service. That could have been knocking out comms for certain airfields so they can't see what's coming in or communicate that things are coming in. You know, let's not assume that there's anything new here, but rather it's been there for a while. And so what, what I think we would call CNE or cyber network ex, exploitation, right? Getting in mm-hmm. and, and really understanding, get, getting the hooks into the system so that you know what's happening on those networks. But also, as you need to go to more, um, I, I'd say, advanced or more direct mechanisms, you have, you have capability pre-deployed. Yeah. Akin, and, and you know- akin to moving 70% of your military to the Ukrainian border. Yeah. And we always use the word advanced, persistent threat. Yeah. We focus on the word advanced yeah. and we forget about the word persistent. And we talked about, oh, what are the new tactics? No, they're just been there for a while. They're persistent. And but we really haven't seen new, have we? I don't, we've, we've seen probably deeper hooks. Um, when you think of like black energy and some of the things we saw back in 2015, when they took out the power grid, um, that, that was kind of unique because it was the first time that we, we saw a cyber impact the physical world at that time. Now they've kind of developed deeper hooks on some of their technology, made them smaller, but net new, the tactics are similar, misinformation, you know, denial of service, but they have better visibility in some ways because they've been there persistently. They've planned for it. It's one, it's one of the reasons I think as organizations, as agencies, we've got to be better prepared. We've got to make Make sure that, you know, we've we've patched, we've mitigated, we've practiced our instant response. We've identified where our supply chain challenges are from software, from contractors, from people. Um, one organization I'm talking to right now, they have teams, developers in some of these countries. How does that impact their software development environment? Think about it that way. Right. What in, happened- in some cases, it may, the source code may, which people had access to, may become Russian at this point. Uh, yeah, we don't know. So, there, or what do you do with the people? How do you do you get them out safely? Do you give them options? All of this goes back to that cyber resilience as an organization, that cyber risk that we probably need to do. It's it's 
you know, it's definitely constantly changing. Um, like you mentioned earlier, what we found out just in the last hour or two is probably gonna be different by the time tomorrow even, or t- tonight. Or, or, or tonight even. I mean, what we did see though was we, we saw a lead up to this in, in prior years, but mm-hmm. even recently, as much as a, a, a short, as recently as a week ago, we, we did see Ukrainian, certain Ukrainian websites come offline, which we've seen before. Mm-hmm. We've seen data wiping um, malware being deployed. And we saw that heavily yesterday, Wednesday, the day before the physical, the kinetic action, we saw a significant uptick in wiping technology. And, 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 and that's essentially ransomware without the ransom. Fair? Fair, but honestly, let's think about it. If I've attacked the system or if I'm robbing something, what am I going to do before I leave the building? I don't want you to know how I got in. I'm just going to blow it up. I'm going to bl- exactly. wipe the data so you can't see any evidence of how I got in. Because it might have been, I might have been there for months or even years just waiting. It's but we're one taking of the, you know, that next step, which is to prevent something from happening. What we saw here in, in the kinetic side, on the kinetic side of the activity, you know, we saw air activity. The Russians, it appears, have gained air superiority at this point. Right. We, we saw early warning and detection systems, radar systems. There's imagery published in Ukraine from the Ukraine where systems are just destroyed. They're burned out. They've been shelled or they've been bombed. Um, we, we've seen a lot of anti uh, radar missiles and, and things like that. They did the same thing on the cyber side. Yeah. And, and just just to make sure it's not one sided here, you know, um, we did give Ukraine some javelins. They're knocking out some Russian tanks. We're seeing a little bit of both sides, but absolutely. Um, but they've definitely moved very fast, and that speed on the physical, I think, was aided by the cyber visibility they had before that. So there was some definitely some coordination. Um, what's really interesting to me is when you start thinking about the what's going to happen next after this, is you're going to see these similar tactics probably get reused by the cyber crime world. There's a lot of collaboration on the cyber side where. And it becomes very, this, and this is part of the, the techniques they do is what they do is not unique, but the, the way they do it, the, the stealthness of it, the persistence of it is special. The, whilst the crime groups want to come in, get out quickly, but you're going to see them replicate the tools. You're going to see them replicate the tactics and it's going to get harder and harder to say, wait, was that the Russians or is that someone pretending to be the Russians? Wait, that's coming from Italy. Wait, is that the Italians or is that the Russians? Or is somehow maybe they're using it as a proxy? We don't know. There's going to be a lot of reuse here. And you're going to, I mean, one of the interesting statistics I read, I think it was about a, a year ago, from the arrest, uh, they're estimating that cyber crime, and for the definition of cyber crime, let's throw in the word cyber war there, is going to be a $10.5 trillion business in terms of loss by 2025. Yeah. We're talking about in three years. And that, that number was brilliant also. Yeah. So when I saw, heard that number, I was like, there's no way we were a third of that, like last year, you know, before COVID and everything else. And, and I was like, there's no way it's 10 trillion. Well, honestly, that, that number just became real with this invasion. I think you're right. I I think you're right. Um, But the other question I was going to ask you is, you know, how might acts of cyber war by Russia coincide with military action? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think we know at this point yeah. we, we, we've seen a lot of this, but things the piece that's interesting to me, Petco, and I'd love to talk to you more about components like disinformation, misinformation were almost 
they, they weren't even needed. They were just overrun by the, the speed of what happened here. It, it wasn't necessary. Russia was pretty transparent. In fact, as of this morning, I was watching CNN report from the Russian side of the, of the border as Russian military entered the Ukraine. Right. So, I mean, there really wasn't a need for disinformation. There wasn't a need to to take Ukrainian systems offline. I mean, I'm sure they did and I'm sure it helped. But to the extent you would think because of this sheer speed of the attack, it it reminds me of the German blitzkrieg from World War that kicked off World War Two. Not to get into that, but I also kind of think about the Cold War and when Ukraine at one point was part of Russia. And in 1991, they separated, but ultimately Russia kind of felt like, hey, you're, you're part of us. So in some ways, I, I, the Russians are viewing Ukraine as their own and they're liberating them. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting context around World War II and some, some of the Cold War. Like in a lot of ways, the Cold War never ended. It ended for the US, but did it end for the Russians? Or they just persistent and waiting and just took it to a deeper level, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. And, and now they have these tools. So, so what did we see? We, we've seen a decent amount of wiper software is being reported in the news, additional capability. Certainly the distributed denial of service attacks were reported pretty, pretty um, well. So we, we, we believe that to be the case. Um, we're still getting some data out of the Ukraine, primarily Facebook, Twitter, and, and, and internet does appear to be up. But the, so let's take, make this a little more global, Eric. I mean, for, for those of us not in Ukraine, and does this matter to us? Like, what should we be worried about? Because okay. I would imagine a lot of viewers will say, oh, that's just Ukraine. I'm over here. I'm not going to worry about it. They're not going to attack me. But again, the cyber side, the things they saw there are going to get reused. You're going to see probably campaigns in other parts of the world that are replicating that type of news because we're now on like I just did a Google Trends look on this. So if you go to Google Trends and kind of just look up Russia and Ukraine, it's through the roof in terms of trending topics. It's the query and, Russia, Ukraine. Yeah, Russia, Ukraine, yep. uh, trends.google.com. And it's just, you know, it went from being barely being a search J- January 15th to now like being in the, you know, one of the top interests. So imagine how an, ad, an adversary or cybercrime group would reuse some of this news inside from a business email compromise or something else where organizations just have to be more resilient, more ready for potentially misinformation coming in that will try to act either capture remote access systems, capture cloud systems, or just, you know, test some of their instant response capabilities. Uh, CISA has published some great reports. If, I, I encourage the audience to make sure they read some of these sysa.gov that are around what a foreign activity is happening, what should it be prioritizing? You know, for years, most organizations are like, where do I start? Well, they've got a great list there of here's the common vulnerabilities you've got to make sure you patch. And here's the order you want to do them. It, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a very simple order, you know, with COVID and everything else. The first thing they tell you is start with remote access. Make sure you've validated, you know where it is, you've patched it, you know who's got access, do they have the right access, and make sure that remote access solution is patched because that's one of the areas that they're targeting now. You know, remote um, access meaning we can access corporate resources remotely. Correct. From so somewhere other than the corporate infrastructure inside your house. 
Yeah, so that, absolutely. So I'm at home, yeah. I might VPN in or I might log into some web-based environment that's using some application on top of it to virtualize my desktop. All of those need to be fully patched and the user accounts you have, just double check them because they might not be the users you think you have, if, if you know what I mean. They, and then the second thing is just go through all your applications that do are exposed to the internet, all the ones you do have and start asking the questions, do they need to talk to the internet? You know, does that database that's sitting behind a web app really have to go direct to the internet? So CISA recommends, make sure you turn off unneeded applications from the internet, harden it, double check it, just, you know, so start remote access, then go to the firewall, check your apps. And third is check your cloud. And they, they literally have multiple steps on how to harden your cloud environment. And one thing the Russians are definitely doing is attacking emo solutions like 365 and others where critical data is and hoping that people make a mistake. And they've done it a couple of times through email accounts they've created through remote access. Yeah. They got then created in the cloud. So, you know, we live in a hybrid cloud world where not everything's in the cloud, but there are things on-prem and they're, they're dependent. There's an independency there. And ultimately, once you've done all that, you've checked your remote access, you've checked your apps, you checked your cloud, just be resilient. You know, practice and test your instant response backups and just make sure you honestly have enough people because we've seen COVID kind of hit the great hit us. And I, I, most of us probably held off testing some of these things and it might require more people than we realize. So just double that. Those are the free four things that if you read two or three pages of theirs, those are the top four items that I would say, so we can definitely do today. I think the other thing to think about is you know, you're not just looking for activity coming from a .ru domain or IP addresses, as you and I have spoken about in the past. These attacks, these whether it's intelligence gathering or it's an actual attack at some point, will likely be launched from servers within the country that the resources sit oh, yeah. in, or, 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 or what would be perceived as a friendly country. Look, no, no doubt about it. I would just use another cloud vendor. You wouldn't even realize. It. I'll use a cloud vendor region in your environment that you have access to today. You don't even realize that it's happening. Right. Just makes it easy. So, so let's, let's, let's get personal for a second. I mean, I, I, I don't know if everybody knows, but you're originally from Bulgaria, correct? Yeah. Many, many decades ago. Yes. A couple hundred miles Southwest of the Ukraine. Yeah. You know, how, how do you think about that? I don't, I don't know if you have family and friends there, but what would you tell them? They're, they're near the border. They're, you know, are they next? Are they not? What, what do they do from a personal perspective, a cybersecurity perspective, do they need to worry? What are your thoughts? It, you know, they're definitely close. I think anyone in Europe, um, I would go back to the cybercrime conversation I had earlier that you, you're gonna see some of these tactics, some of these uh, being reused because when there's noise, when there's chaos, there's opportunity for them. Um, I had okay. a recent friend of mine I talked to this morning, and this is a friend of mine who's very tech savvy, lives in the US, loves tech. And any, anytime I text him stuff, he's obsessed with technology. Really, and I texted him something this morning and, and he's like, I don't have time. My home country is getting bombed. That's the only thing he was on his mind. And, you know, he's been here decades, but to them, that is very personal. In, in a lot of ways, any country that is close to Ukraine is going to say what's next. You know, we've got, we've got, we've already seen them previously attack Belarus. They've got posts there. What's kind of, when you start looking at the map, you've got Belarus on top, you've got Ukraine, then you've got Mon Mondovia and Romania. You start wondering. Poland, Bulgaria, yeah. How far are they gonna go? Is this the start of something? 
you know, I don't know where it's going to end, but we know where it started. It started here in Ukraine. And when I think like your journey, your family's journey to that ended up originally or, or eventually in the United States, borders are not like they used to be. I, th I think the cybersecurity activity oh, yeah. we are seeing will impact Europe. Absolutely. But it I will also no impact the United States. Right. I mean, as we, st as we, we being the Western world, um, plus Japan and a couple of other nations, as, as we look to sanction the Russian government, I think a, a likely recourse could be attacks on critical infrastructure in the rest of the world. I think they will definitely do that, but they'll attack ones that don't impact their revenue stream. You have to remember, the, what, what is Russia known for? Oil. Yeah. Oil. And gas. Gas. So they're not going to want to impact anything that's impacting their gas lines and other things, at least because it impacts their revenue. I did read a GDP. report that gas was flowing this morning. I think it was a uh, CNBC report. Gas was flowing through the Ukraine pipelines into Europe, into Western Europe, at the highest rate of, of any time recently, today. Stockpiling. Yeah, you don't want to. But, but also, you know, I, I don't think Russia wants to kill that source of, of income. Okay, so, so you're a global company now. We, we know that cyber has no boundaries. How do you take defensive action against potential Russian cyber activity? I mean, you could be a U.S., a U.K., a French, a German, whatever company um, that is is doing your business as you normally would. And you're now you find yourself a target now. How do you take defensive action? What should you do? What should you expect from a Russian cyber activity outside of the Ukrainian um, area of responsibility, maybe is the way to put it. Yeah, I want to, I'd go back to what CISA recommended. They literally just released this, I think this week, okay. around foreign activity by Russians. And one of them was literally the remote access. And like we mentioned earlier, but yeah, I think, you know, as a global company, we, we have remote workers, we have remote sites. The, I kind of think of it as, when we had COVID, we had a lot of great things kind of happen out of COVID. We started deploying technology at a speed we've never seen before. Right. But at the same time, we deployed it at a speed we've never seen before. And we're not sure if we're complete with all those projects, all those deployments. I would say we deployed accessibility, not necessarily secured that accessibility. Yeah. A lot of VPNs well, extend the corporate boundary beyond the, the, the corporate firewall, if you will, into the home. But we're not necessarily inspecting that traffic any better than we were. And we probably lost some visibility because of that quick extension there in terms of what's happening. I think CISOs would go back to that list and say, where are my users and what are they doing? Where are my devices and what are they doing? If we can't answer those questions, we can, we can almost assume at some point there's something else there. And as a global organization, my, you know, we've I, like, I think at Force Point, we're in, I forgot how many countries, but we're global. We've got folks all over whatever, Europe. Right? We're all over. We have Russian employees. So yeah, we, I'm with you. I didn't, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. Anyway, no, go on. Yeah, we, we've definitely got a global workforce and we've centralized we, as a, as an organization that does software development. You know, we've, one thing I would say is you've got to make sure you centralize your code development from a okay. storage standpoint. So if you do have folks in Europe and other places, they shouldn't be downloading intellectual property. They shouldn't be downloading it to the laptops like source code. And you should, should be able be, to turn access off. 
turn off access. Or, but what you do want is you want to have them give them access to the repository so they can come into a secure environment that's centrally located. They can do the work when they need to, and they can check out, but leave the code there, leave, leave the, the testing there. So it's not residing in them because what we've kind of seen again with COVID and, and, and the new normal we're used to is data has kind of gone from your offices that used to be safe and sound because the laptop was, it was sitting on that laptop and now it's gone everywhere. It's not just on the laptop at home, but it's also in other cloud services that IT might not be aware of because the employee was being productive, looking to be productive and just said, hey, I'm just going to deploy this because it makes my job easier. Uh, developers are w really well known for that. And they're not doing it for Malfi. They're not trying to circumvent things. They just want to be productive. But I think as, as a CISO, you start asking the question, what is my critical assets? You know. And if the critical assets are source code as a software development, if the critical assets are corporate data, start asking the question, where is it? Is any of it in personal laptops or in areas that could be directly affected? And how would they be affected by, you know, uh, cyber attackers, regardless of where they are? Because there's no bounds anymore. I'm not even going to say a country at this point. Well, right. There are no borders. So, so CISA, put, CISA put out a, a, um, a notification to critical industry industry. Uh, about a week ago, I think, mm -hmm. certainly in the month of February here, talking about escalating uh, risk and attacks. If if you're in a critical infrastructure sector organization, let's say a power plant, a water treatment facility, a bank, really doesn't matter, and you're the CISO, Petco, what are you doing differently? How are you thinking differently, if you are, today than you were a week ago? Yeah, they're definitely up. I think we would all be at this point operating in an elevated state. We're assuming and, and things are going to happen. That, what does that mean? How do we think differently? We're in an elevated state. Obviously, there's some risk in the world that wasn't here a day or two ago. You know, the best way uh, CISA hat puts it really uh, puts it really well. They have a, a on their website. They call it shields up. Yes. And, and, and in a way, it's kind of the model that you've got to start looking at. Before we might have said, "Hey, employees." come here now it's like shields up make sure you check everything apply more zero trust make sure you understand your essential services where they are how they impact in terms of critical infrastructure how they impact your employees your public safety your your commitments to your partners you know i i can't help but think of solar winds for some reason and, and the reason for that is in the solar winds example they affected the supply chain how the software was actually compiled and delivered I would not, you know, I would not be surprised if we see that taking further in the next year, and we see more things getting hidden deeper in source code, getting, because the development environments are not centralized. We're not controlling the ins and outs of that development environment. We're not, we're not hardening our, you know, we're putting shields up on our email systems and our users to make sure they're protected. Okay. Well, and as Sudakar said, the CEO of SolarWinds, who was on the podcast back in. December of 21, I believe. It was an excellent show. If you haven't listened to it, go back and read and listen. I I, uh, I don't have the exact number here. Um, Let's put security that in the show by notes. You so can go right to it. Yeah, we, we can put it in the show notes. But security by design, right? Yeah. Building it in upfront, knowing and, and understanding the risks. It, I think we've a lot of us have said we've practiced it for years. You know, we've argue that we do security design, we're patching, we're securing, we're checking our code before we run. But we very few of us, you know, had it in a centralized manner. We always have it distributed. We're focused on the code, not not 
to make sure what goes in is trusted, but we never said what comes out is trusted. Now, it, it's a definitely a, a changing world. And I think organizations need to start under, looking at it from the standpoint of it's not if, but when. And this is definitely, this, the when is coming closer, it feels like. Do you think this will noise. change things? You think people will, will recognize that the vulnerabilities are greater than they thought and that it's, it's time to do something? I want them, I want to say they will, but I think the biggest challenge is it's gotten to the point where there's so much noise, so much of this, do do? go fix this, go fix that. How do you start? Like, what do you prioritize? And, and that's one of the reasons I kind of recommended and going back to what Sis's list was, and we'll definitely provide lists those references in the notes for you guys about those four little high level things, like checking your VPN, your remote access, checking your applications, checking your cloud, and just double checking your, your backups. That's a short list. You can start with, but if someone says go patch everything, where do I start? That's too broad. Right, go fix my cloud. Done. Be more specific. You know, is there anything a CISO or a CIO can share as, as as she's looking at the business with the employees? You know, and I'm not talking about training necessarily, but we have this conflict going on. I want you to be extra diligent. You should be on heightened alert right now. If you see something, say something. I mean, would you go that far, or do you think it's probably just wasted breath? I, I would expect us to have more business email compromise, something that someone pretending to be the CEO or an email that says, hey, I text you, you, you know, respond back to this. And you'll think it's your CIO or your C CEO, and it might be someone else. We always think of it as a, I think it might start with something like that. Just double check identity at this point. Double check your who you think you're talking to is the right person, either via email, via text, or, you know, the, the supplier you're dealing with. You know, give them a call sometimes and just make sure that's really what they want. I, I think at this point, it's we've relied, you know, you gave the example in the beginning of the show about your 386 and your SX and how before that everything was on a typewriter. We've got we've added cyber so much where we trust it to the point where we forget about integrity, integrity of the actual code. What if someone changes something, you know, uh, ransomware? It was all about impacting availability and making it difficult to access the data. But I worry most about what if someone changed the data in the middle of it? Would we know? Slight tweak, almost, almost like we saw with the Iranian uh, centrifuges, like mm -hmm. a, just a slight change, not, not a wiper where we're destroying something, not ransomware where we're saying we're holding you hostage and, and, and not exploitation act or, 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 you know, exploitation activity where we're, we're in the networks, but really looking at just a slight tweak to throw something off and change yes. it. Spin it a little faster okay. or spin it a little slower, you know, and you might not notice it when you're looking at it. You might not notice that extra account in your email, in your global address list. You might not notice that extra account, Active Directory service account that's accessing applications. But I think now we need to start checking those and asking the question, uh, let's revisit all our users that have left. Um, employees should, or, or organizations definitely need to be looking at their offboarding policies. There's definitely a lot of, accounts that get stale and just left there for various reasons. But how many of them are all really turned off all access? Very few. Okay. Last, last question, comment as we're, as we're wrapping up and I really, really appreciate your time here. We, we saw the Russian military and government kind of blow through the need for cyber to a great extent. Um, we've seen, we've seen an increased use of wipers. You know, disinformation really wasn't in, in play here. I believe as, as this campaign, this effort continues, wherever it should end up, 
we will probably see enhanced cyber activity on the backside and enhanced disinformation on the backside of the kinetic, the physical piece. Um, I, I suspect we'll have a puppet government in the Ukraine shortly, um, probably before this airs, if you, if you ask me. Um, but I, I think we'll see more cyber on the backside. Yeah, and when I say that, disinformation, misinformation, um, and, and the like, plus potentially critical infrastructure attacks, where I personally expected it up front. Agree, disagree, what are your thoughts? I think it was already there, first of all, in the beginning. We just never realized it. Um, the, the Russians are, had definitely have a history of misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. And but it almost wasn't it. even need. It wasn't needed. needed, but I expect- It wasn't used. But in order for them to stay in, in Russia, in order to put that government in, as you put it, they're gonna need the support. They're gonna need the misinformation that they're gonna start producing. They're gonna need some and, of that. And just and, like we're seeing on Russian state-led news, yeah. we'll see more. But prior to this, and I've written about this publicly, we expected more cyber, I, I certainly expected more cyber activity in leading up to well, any I kinetic think, I think what you mean is more detectable cyber activity that's new right before an attack. Longer duration, prepping the battlefield, misinformation, malinformation, you know, you know disinformation, things to to really um, change public perception and raise questions about what's really happening. We, we really haven't seen that, right? The Russians just blew through. I think we're going to see more on the back end now. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. We're going to see much more misinformation and, and more media control right at this point. The Russians will focus on the, the message. And it, for them, it's all about saving face if anything did happen. So they want to be able to control that. Okay. Well, we're going to stop the show there. I really appreciate your time. I'd love to follow up with you in the coming days here as we, as, as this situation evolves, it's rapidly evolving. Um, I really appreciate your time, Petco. To all of our listeners, hopefully this special episode is helpful to you. Take what Petco said, what CISA says to heart, bolster your defenses, be more aware, be more cognizant of what's going on on your networks, on your systems, with your data. More coming from us as, as these days uh, evolve here. To our subscribers, thank you for listening. Please hit the subscribe button. If you have any comments or questions, get them over to us, ideas for the show. And we will have more in the coming days and weeks on this rapidly evolving topic. Petco, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a, uh, a good day. Thanks, Eric. It was fun. Always love this. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.